And what an astronomical show that is. We are in Revelation 12 this week. Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. I thank you for tuning in this blessed Kadosh Holy Sabbath. Let's delve right in to the 12th chapter today, and we're going to be looking at the Shamaim, the heavens, and what a display of Yahweh's might and power in these days and in our lives. And there appeared a great wonder in the Shamaim, in the heavens, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried and labored in birth and pained to deliver. And there appeared another wonder in the Shamaim in the heavens. And see a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail. Oh, that tail drew a third part of the stars of the heaven and did cast them down to the earth and the dragon. It stood poised before the woman who was ready to deliver in order to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to Yahuwah and to his throne. What a magnificent chapter we are about to embark on. What a powerful time in which we truly do live. And what strikes me right off the bat, all the stargazing, all the blood moons, all the lunar eclipses, and all the date setting that we can get into aside, what really strikes me is the startling sevens. Sevens, they're everywhere, everywhere. We've got seven menorahs, we've got seven stars, we've got seven assemblies, we've got the lamps of fire, we've got seven eyes, we've got seven horns, we've got angels, we've got thunders, we've got 7,000, we've got seven heads, we've got... I mean, can you see what I'm saying? We've got seven crowns, we've got seven golden vials, we've got seven mountains, seven kings, seals, trumpets, plagues. We're going to have seven months of this coronavirus. I mean, sevens everywhere, right? Everywhere, everywhere. And here more, there are seven main characters as we see the radiant woman, the dragon, the man-child. Michiel, the seed of the woman, and the two beasts. So here's another set of seven characters. And really, as we delve into this 12th chapter, there's three scenes. You have number one, you have the woman. And number two, you have the dragon. And number three, you have the male child. And, and within that, you can even see another, another grouping. You have, of course, S.A. Tan is being cast out of heaven. And you can tie that in and connect it with Ezekiel chapter 28. And number two, you get the persecution of the woman and her offspring. And number three is a continuation and expansion of the first and the second scene. It really explains S.A. Tan's violent opposition to the saints. 
And we're feeling that now, aren't we? Just this violent opposition to righteousness, truth, decency. A violent opposition. And this is really the ultimate crusade. The ultimate holy war. Now, John's vision here is just is brilliant in how he communicates this to a pagan world. And we do live in a very corrupt and pagan world, as John was communicating this largely to a pagan world as well, as the gospel was now spreading out toward the nations. And how he did that in these descriptive factors can be seen. The Maseroth, the Maseroth. But how he used the very truth of the Maseroth to relate to the pagan world in a way in which they could understand. You see, John communicated the truth of the Maseroth to the pagans because to them, they were very familiar but with a very skewed version of the story. And that's the whole point of when Paul was speaking in particular to the Colossians in chapter 2. He was taking issue not with the Torah, but he was taking issue with their stargazing, how they had become uh, bewitched. And I'll just read the intro to Colossians, which sets up um, that chapter that many people will skip right to, especially in the traditional church, um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, and then on down through verse 16, and then you'll get the, the, the typical Christian caption would be, oh, not legalism, but Christ. You know, the law is done away with. The handwriting on the, on, on, on the wall is done away with. The ordinances of Moses are done away with. You know, everything in the Old Testament, you know, the feast days, the festivals, they're all, hang on a minute. This is what Paul was addressing was the pagan world. Because if you back up to Colossians chapter 2, and of course you have to back up before you jump into verse 11 and then make a, a summary conclusion in verse 16, you'd find it says this in verse 2. Once their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of Yahuwah, both of the Father and of his Moshiach, Messiah, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So all of the treasures that are contained in the Maserath, that we're looking into in Revelation chapter 12 right now, they can only be discovered through the Son, through the Messiah, through the revelation of the Lamb. And then he goes on to say, if you skip down a few verses, to give you the context. Now, in verse 6, As you therefore have received received Messiah Yahushua the Master, so continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, pagan world, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. 
The two Greek words here is philo, of course, love, and Sophia, the pagan goddess of wisdom. The love of Sophia, the love of philosophy, philosophia, an empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So before I would start talking about the law of Moses in chapter 2, verse 11, and concluding falsely in verse 16, that we can't do the feasts and the festivals, I would ask this simple question to anybody that would read Colossians chapter 2, and it's quite simple, and that would be, is the written word of Yahuwah vain and empty deceit? Is the Torah of Yahuwah the tradition of men? Heavens forbid. So whatever comes next in the next few verses, is it going to be talking about anything in the Torah? Anything in the Holy Bible of Yahuwah? No. It's going to be talking about what? The traditions of men according to the basic principles of the world. That's what Paul was addressing to the Colossians. Not that they shouldn't keep the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah, but that they shouldn't be stargazing and bewitched by the empty, vain traditions of the pagan world of on this particular day there was a pagan feast of fasting on this particular day there was a there was a a a festival for denying your body this or denying your body that this is what paul was addressing to the colossians the context is not the law of moses it's not the word of yahuwah because the word of yahuwah is kodesh holy just, righteous, and true. Heavens forbid that anyone would accuse the word of Yahuwah of being philosophy and empty deceit. Now, this is very, very elementary to us that have been walking this walk. But once upon a time, I read Colossians through a poor lens of tradition also. John now, going back to Revelation 12, He is communicating to people like those in Colossae that were wrapped up in a pagan worldview. But he's now able to meet them where they're at, in their lost state, in their pagan state. And he's going to communicate the wonderful creation of Yahuwah through the Maseroth. And he's going to unlock their pagan world to the reality and power of the Lamb of Yahuwah. And I think today we have got more opportunity to unlock the power and reality of Yahuwah and the Lamb of Yahuwah to this pagan and fallen world because they are in crisis and they have no hope. Yet you and I have a message of truth, a message of freedom, and a message of deliverance because we know who sits on the throne and who sits at the right hand of him who sits on the throne interceding for us daily. This is an inspiring time to live in, even though it is quite perilous at times, is it not? Quite perilous at times. So we see now John is going to communicate the truth of the Maseroth to the pagans because to them they were very familiar with it, but their story was skewed. 
And he's going to correct their skewed story. I'll give you some of the skewed stories of traditions and now how he's going to turn that back to the truth of Yahuwah. Because, you see, in Greek mythology, the pagan goddess Leto, pursued by the dragon Python, is brought safely to the island of Ortega, where she gives birth to Apollo who turns and then kills the dragon. This, of course, was very well known in the pagan world. Even the Egyptians, the Egyptians, they were up for this as well, all this skewing of the truth. You see, the Egyptians in their mythology, the red dragon was called Septiphon, and it pursued Isis and then later was killed by Horus, her son. Can you see the parallelism? Then, with all this, the Babylonians, of course, they weren't going to be left behind. They had to have their own version of the story, too, in which Tiamat, the seven-headed water monster, is overthrown by Marduk, the young god of light. So what you have is you have biblical truth that then... At court, of course, in Genesis 10, you have mystery Babylon or Babel, the confusion of the language, and then the truth of Scripture is perverted, sent out into the nations, and becomes their mythology. It's a skewed version of the truth. And you find that, you know, all over the world today. Even the Chinese, you know, the Chinese have a version of the flood. It's somewhat skewed. You go into India and there's all kinds of versions of the gospel narrative, yet it's skewed because as it goes out to the nations, it becomes more corrupt. Think of it like this. I used to mountain climb. The higher you get up to the top of the mountain, the water spring is pure. But as that water travels down the mountainside and then it comes into the valleys and then into the farmlands and then into the cities, as it's coming down, more people are dumping into it, right? And the more that's dumped into it, the further downstream you get, the more polluted the stream is. That's why we have to climb to the top of the mountain to get the pure word, the unadulterated word of Yahweh. Because by the time you get down into the cities, you've had the farmers, irrigation, sewage, and everything dumped into it. Tradition, tradition, tradition. And the traditions of the pagans, even in my home country in England, you couldn't keep the Druids back from this mythology because at Stonehenge they simplified it because they were so blooming stupid that they got this cultic myth of the goddess of heaven giving birth to the sun every day because they had to do it every day and of the dragon of darkness who then pursues to devour her. And people still meet at Stonehenge to celebrate this kind of stuff. Okay, so as it got exported into the, the nations, the further afield, the lower downstream, the more ridiculous it gets. To now you have Bohemian Grove in California. And I'm not joking, right? And some of the things they do is absolutely absurd as it gets more filtered and filtered down. You see, these cultures looked to the signs in the heavens 
and then they reinterpreted the facts to fit the pagan culture and myths that they were surrounded with. Yet what remains is the invariable record in the Maseroth for us to rightly reveal. A woman clothed with the sun. Now, she gives birth, we know, to Moshiach, Messiah, but we know that this isn't Mary, although we know that actually did happen historically, of course. This is really a multi-layered application. It's really the pull between the celestial and the temporal. We have the pull between the celestial and the temporal. And this is the community of the saints. We've got the true Israel, and then we have Zion as the mother of Yahweh's people. Look what Isaiah says in the 54th, cha- 54th chapter, excuse me, and he really does portray the woman here clothed with the sun. Isaiah 54 in the first verse. Sing, O barren, thou didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith Yahuwah. What is this picture? This picture is the truth of Revelation 12. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, we even see more. But the Jerusalem that is above, is that the woman giving birth with her children, is free, which is our mother. So Paul was hinting at this. You see that? See the connection? You see, the world hates us. We feel it even more now, don't we? The world hates us as Israel and holds us in the lowest regard. But we're the radiant bride. And our radiance is what exposes the scarlet whore. Isn't it? You start to stand out more. We really are in our pre-Messianic glory of expectation. We're in the birth pangs. We're in the birth pangs right now. And they are coming closer and closer and closer and closer. And at times it feels quite painful. Quite painful. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 17. The woman. Like a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is the pain and crieth out in her pangs. So we have been before thee, O Yahuwah. I've cried out this week. How many of you have cried out? I'm sure so many of you. In various pangs, pains, and afflictions. You see, the red dragon with seven heads, the devil. That's chaos, isn't it? Chaos. Israel's enemy. Of course, this is where we get the tradition of the red devil. Seven heads is the university, university, the universality of his power, full encompassing. And then the ten horns, of course, recalls the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. 
Now, these are diadems, or are they crowns? But they're not crowns of victory. If you look in the Greek, but they are crowns of arrogated authority. You see, Satan is presumptuous. He hasn't really gained the victory. So therefore, he cannot get a crown of victory. It's a crown of presumption. We live now in a world where the Satan's vocabulary is spitting off the tongues of the world. Presumption. Presumptive positive. Presuming things that are not fact. Presuming you have a victory when in fact you are defeated. Presumption is the realm of Lucifer, the red dragon, if you will, Satan. Because Satan's presumptuous claim on royal power is against the king of kings and Yahweh who is above all and all. You see, Satan never, ever, ever wears a victory crown. The Greek word for the victory crown is the Stephanos. The Stephanos. He only wears the diadem. That is because he wins no permanent victories. Just remember that. When you feel downtrodden, when you feel like Satan got a win on you, either in your mind or in your natural world, in the natural realm, it's not really a victory. It's not really a victory. You just have to push through. And I'm speaking to myself as much as you guys out there because he cannot win a permanent victory against me. He cannot win a permanent victory against you. It's temporary. And guess what? Tomorrow is a new day with a new prayer and a new song, and we continue on. No permanent victories when you are up against the devil, Satan, and this occult, luciferic world of oppression. They can win no permanent victories upon the saints. It's only temporal. It's only temporal. And that's given me much, much conviction and courage this week. Now, Connecting this with Ezekiel 28, Satan, the dragon, gathers a third of the stars with his great tail and hurls them down to the earth. Just like Antiochus, the little horn in Daniel chapter 8, verse 10. Let's read that. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped on them. There's your Daniel 8 connection. You see, the dragon stands in readiness, as we saw in the intro there, and we'll show it again momentarily. The dragon stands in readiness before the woman to devour the infant. I mean, we're the generation that not only will see this played out in the Maseroth, we're actually getting to see this played out in the Maseroth, but heinously we get to see it played out at Planned Parenthood, in the politics, and throughout this apparent Christian nation in which we live. What happened? What happened? 
But historically, this infanticide played out with Nebuchadnezzar as he devoured Israel. Look at Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 34. It's infanticide. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. So John is pulling here in Revelation 12 of all of Israel's enemies under the power and influence of Satan, ultimately going to be played out in the end in the stars, in the Maseroth. But there's always been Israel's enemies that have been there seeking to devour infanticide the child, whether that is Nebuchadnezzar, whether that is Pharaoh, whether that is the false prophets, those of Baal, always seeking Jezebel seeking to devour the child, which is, of course, the seed of the woman, which is Israel. And later, of course, we had King Herod with the massacre of the innocents. You see, Satan, the devil, has taken his position, and he awaits his victim. This is what John is communicating in the 12th chapter. The male child comes forth who's destined to receive the nations as an inheritance. Look what it says. It's written in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. Yahweh has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and might. Thou shalt dash them to pieces asunder like a potter's vessel. Revelation 12 is fully bringing forward all of the prophecies into this final culmination of every type of adversary that has come up against Israel is now in all might and power going to try and destroy her through the power of Lucifer. From birth to ascension, the child is snatched up to Yahuwah and his throne. Look what it says in Philippians in the second chapter and the fifth verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yahushua, who being in the form of Elohim, thought it not robbery to be equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the tree. Wherefore Elohim also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Yahushua 
every knee shall bow. Of things of heaven, of things in the earth, and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yahusha Hamashiach is master of all, to the glory of Elohim the Father. Ultimately, his glory is going to be shown in the Maserath. But before we get to the end, we have to deal with the one that waits there to devour, which means we have to go through the birth pangs, does it not? And we can look now at the narrative of this Maseroth, and I think we might have that ready for you. Because we are in these days, and we are in the midst of the throes. We are in the midst of the very throes. Genesis 1.14 And Elohim said, Let lights come to be in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and appointed times and for days and years. When we begin reading Revelation 12, we see the first verse is talking about the great wonder in heaven. Revelation 12, 1 through 4. And a great sign was seen in the heaven, a woman clad with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And being pregnant, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign was seen in heaven, and see a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And his tail draws a third of the stars of the heaven and throws them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. In the video we see in the top left hand corner the date and time. Starting December 1st, 2016, we see the king planet, Jupiter, entering into the stomach area or womb of Virgo, the Virgin. It remains there for approximately nine and a half months and then exits on September 13th, 2017. The dragon, or serpent, is waiting to devour the child. All of the great wonder in heaven finishes lining up on September 23rd, 2017, as shown in the video. Ophiuchus is holding serpents. In Revelation 12:3, we see the great red dragon, which is Strong's number 1404, which means a dragon or a serpent and identifies as Satan. Ophiuchus is known as the serpent wrestler, which seems to relate to Revelation 12, 7 through 8. And there came to be fighting in the heaven. Michael and his messengers fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his messengers fought. But they were not strong enough nor was a place found for them in the heaven any longer. On September 23rd, 2017, we see the woman clothed in the sun, moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars upon her head, 
The crown of 12 stars is made up of Leo, which is a constellation of nine stars, and Mercury, Mars, and Venus move into position to make up the 12 stars. So, as you can see, we're living in the times right now. <laughs> Three and a half years. And then we move into the time of peril. It's coming up on three years. Three and a half years brings us to a season in 2021. Around that time when the synagogue of S.A. Tan will be celebrating Purim. Coincide with a time of great peril. I'm not one to date set, but I am one to take note and notice of the word and to look and see the seasons and the times in which we live. That would be the final three and a half years. Now, you have to look at the way and the times that we're living in now and the next three months, four months escalating toward, in this country, the election. And then a few months after that would bring us to three and a half years after this event. We need to be very aware. We need to be prepared for the times that we are in. Because in the sixth verse, there is going to come a time when we must flee into the wilderness where the woman, she has a place prepared by Yahuwah that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred and sixty days. Now again, not to get all apocalyptic, which I am, but let's look at this in a more multi-layered fashion because it does layer back into history. I, I, I cannot doubt that or dispute that. I'm saying that we live in an amazing time, but did people before us say that about their generation? Yes. Because this looks back, this flight into the wilderness, when the, when the, when the saints back in days of old, they took their flight to Pella. They believed that this prophecy was coming true. And of course, that was at the outbreak of the Jewish war in 66 of the common era and the saints took flight to Pella. But this isn't so much about legging it with our beans and rice, but it's more about Yahuwah's providential provision. Do you believe that Yahuwah will providentially provide for you in your time of trouble? That's really what it's about. I do. When birth, pangs, pain, and labor you feel all around you. Do you believe in Yahuwah's providential provision? I know I do. I know I do. He will sustain you. He will sustain me. It's not about me legging it to the wilderness, though I do often think about a legging it to the wilderness. Of course, the Torah really comes into full view here with the manna and the quail when they legged it into the wilderness. So it's going to happen, but it's ultimately about his providential provision. All in all, Yahweh has provided a place for us for spiritual nourishment, 
And he will enable us to stand against the dragon. To stand against Satan. Now, the duration of divine nourishment, 1,260 days, of course, it does correspond to the end time persecution. That's three and a half years of tribulation. Look at verse 7. And there was a war in the heavens. Michael, Michael and his heavenly Malachim, angels, fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought with his heavenly kingdom. And the dragon prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in the heavens. And the great, the great dragon was cast out. That head serpent in the Aramaic. I'll go to the Aramaic. I don't often do that. But I like how it comes out pronounced or translated in the Aramaic. That great serpent called the Akel Karza, the Akel Karza. You most probably have your Aramaic with you today, don't you? You don't. He usually does. He doesn't. Because you've got some good footnets on yours. We have it back at home, though. Um, the Akel Karza, the devil, Satan, who deceives the entire world, he has cast out into the earth, and his heavenly angels were cast out with him. Now, in the Aramaic Renewed Covenant, it is the Akel Katsa, and it's an Aramaic compound term. Akel means to devour or to consume, and Katsa means um, to hunch, a hunch of bread, a hunch of bread, carping or pulling to pieces. It means to make an accusation or a disparagement. It means biting words, biting, or a current destruction. So it's very descriptive, isn't it, in the Aramaic of Satan. The Arkel Katsa uses biting words and accusation to consume and to, to devour and to destroy. He is a slanderous backbiter the devil of old. And when those false accusations come against you, you can find out their origin, and then you're able to stand. And people are in bewilderment that you can still stand. But you understand the origin of the attack. Therefore, you have the power and might and endurance to continue on, no matter what the cost where many men would capitulate and settle, you can stand and then still stand, no matter what the cost, because the origin of those that are carping, pulling to pieces, accusing, trying to bring biting words and bring in a current of destruction, they are rooted in the Arkel Katza, and ultimately their destiny is set. The snares that they have set, as the psalmist says, will spring upon them and you will go free praising glory. You just have to have the endurance of the saints, which we do. So this is the time of Daniel 12, verse 1. Mark 13, verse 19. The darkness before the dawn. 
The darkness before the dawn, the period of Satan's rage, Isaiah 14:12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Not to be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of Satan. So we have to stay humble. We have to stay in honor. And we have to stay meek. Because ultimately it's Yahweh that will lift us up. Not our own might, not our own strength. Look at verse 10 of chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in the heavens, Now has come deliverance and strength in the kingdom of our Elohim and the power of his Messiah. For the Akel Katsa, the accuser of our brothers, is cast down who accused and slandered them before our Elohim day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved, loved not their lives even to the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea. For Satan, that Akel Katza, has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who brought forth the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and a times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. And the ground helped the woman, and the land opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was angry with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her Zerah seed, that guard the commandments of Yahuwah and have the testimony of Yahushua the Messiah. That's us. We who are in the covenant keep the Torah commandments of Yahuwah and have the testimony of Yahushua. And this is our calling. All the way back in the times of Noah, Noah was given a warning and he knew the year. He knew the month of the flood. Therefore, we we should know and be ready for Yahushua's return also. You see, the heavens declare the glory of Yahuwah and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, the psalmist says in the 19th chapter and the first verse. We shouldn't be unaware of the times in which we live. We shouldn't be unaware. The constellation Virgo represents the woman who is the virgin maiden, giving birth and holding in her hand spicker, the branch containing the precious seed of Yahushua. Now today, Virgo is clothed in the sun during the entire full feast schedule. The sun actually moves through her body in the same direction as a woman giving birth. It's absolutely amazing. And you can see from the stellarium, she's clothed in the sun. 
But the particular time in 2017 is marked beyond measure. Beyond measure. And we now are living in these days. She's clothed in the sun every year during the full feast days. And the moon at her feet occurs often. But to have that kind of alignment, I think the next time we see a great alignment is at Sukkot, the 10th, in about 2037, if we even make it to such a time. Many dispute that. You see, when Yahushua was born, we know that the Magi came to worship Yahushua since they saw his star in the east. They were aware of the Maseroth, of the heavenly movements. The constellation Leo is in the east according to the numbers camp and, an or- and arrangement of the camp in the book of Numbers. Leo represents the tribe of Judah. Virgo is always crowned with the 12 stars in the constellation of Leo. Plus, she has a crown of 12 stars of her own. Now, there's a great book. I believe it was published in the, in the end of the 19th century, and it's by um, Bullinger, I believe. I think I have that at home. And it's um, The Witness in the Stars. That's a great book for you to kind of learn a little bit about the movements and the Maseroth. But Revelation 14 confirms for us that Yahushua will come during the time the grapes are ready to be harvested. And when is that? Is that the spring feasts or the fall feasts? It's the fall feasts because grapes become ripe and ready for harvest at the fall feasts. Look at Revelation chapter 14 verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ready for the harvest. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of Yahuwah. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Now, one of the decans in the Virgo constellation is Butes, who carries a sharp sickle. This is fascinating. Now, does this point to Yahushua's return during the Feast of Tabernacles after the retrograde of Jupiter and after the war of Armageddon? It sure looks that way to me. I mean, that's the way I see it. All of this is happening in the heavens. It involves Virgo, Leo, Regulus, Spica, Jupiter, and Venus. And these are all so important, and these events led up to Yahushua's birth, and they're probably going to be leading up to his return. That's all I'm saying. We live in amazing times. And you can check all this out on Stellarium. You can check all this out if you dare to go there, or even on the NASA website. 
And I'm not endorsing NASA. In case any of you try to put something in the comments section below. Good grief. But based upon this stuff, it really looks to me that Yahusha's return is during... Now don't get all freaking out on me when I say this word and accusing me. Because we know who the accuser of the brethren is. But is it possible that Yahusha's return would be during the hippy-dippy age of Aquarius? That's a real deal. The age of Aquarius. On the traditional model, I don't think it's been plotted on other models. The Maseroth or the Zodiac circles the sun counterclockwise very slowly. And it makes a full circle around the sun every 25,920 solar years. Now, this full circle of 25,920 years is then called the great year, okay? The sun rises in the current age on the spring equinox. Currently, there's, there's a ton of arguments out there as to whether we're now actually in the age of Pisces, or the age of Aquarius. That was a big song, like back in the 70s, wasn't the age of Aquarius. That's why I was a bit, you know, nervous. I wasn't really nervous, but I figured it would come up in the comments section. You'd be accusing me of being some, like, 60s hippie or something. Age of Aquarius. That's a real deal. Because back in 1922, the constellation boundaries were changed by the globalists which cooked up a bunch of stellar buffs that came up with a bunch of rubbish, which is why we've had so many missed calls over the past century. But we know the signs. We know that Yahusha is the water bearer who pours out his gospel of truth and the living waters, and this happens on the last great day of Sukkot. Those who are ordained into the Malkitetic priesthood, who keep his commandments, will be ushered in. And then, when then, the wicked will be removed. We are living in amazing times. And our mikvah with water in preparation for the last great day. I mean, this is prophetically pointing to his return during the age of Aquarius. And I think we have something to boot up on the screen from our friend Malik, who has an interesting perspective on the Maseroth. The word stars in Genesis 1.16 is kakab. In paleo, it is kof, nun kof, bet. And it means the perpetual showing of the houses. Now these houses are the 12 main constellations that are on the ecliptic. Their meanings have been hijacked by the fallen ones in order to change the story of the Most High handiwork, Psalms 19. The true identity belongs to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Asher is Virgo. Levi is Libra. Dan is Scorpio. Naphtali is Sagittarius. Benjamin is Capricornus. Reuben, Aquarius. Zebulun, Pisces. Ishtar is Aries. Joseph is Taurus, the reason for all the activity in the spring feast this year, two houses. 
Simon is Gemini, Gad's Cancer, and Judah is Leo. Now, the wandering stars have previously been known as planets, have also been hijacked by the followed ones, and deemed as gods for man to serve. The scheme worked well, and the whole world fell for it, as well as Israel, up until the last few years. A Jupiter is Sadiqo, and means Yahuwah's righteous purchaser, or Melchizedek, the king and a priest. Mercury, or Morkura, in the Paleo, means the mighty work of the chief, showing man through the modium, the messenger, Gabriel. Saturn, or Keon, Amos 5, 25 through 26, Allowing, in paleo, means allowing the secured work of the subdued, bad seed, the bound one, or Satan. Mars, may Adim, was Rome's god of war, but is actually Yahuwah's man of war. In the Odeo, he is the father's mighty man of chaos, protector of the door, Michael, the archangel. Venus, Nogah, the bright one. It once belonged to Satan, Isaiah 14:12, given to the Messiah, Revelation 22:16, and then given to the saints or the remnant, Revelations 2:21. In the Paleo, his nun or gimel hay means, "Behold, I will gather and secure the offspring of the good seed." Hence, the remnant or saints. Now that a foundation has been established. And turn to Revelation. And there appeared a great woman in heaven, Shalmane, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now we all know this appeared in the Shalmane, September 23rd, 2017. And with the three wandering stars that appeared in Leo along with the nine stars of Leo brightest stars tells the story of the gathering of the remnant of Israel the coming together of the twelve tribes now if you will notice that Saturn is not there well, let's see why because when Revelation 12 1 was happening also Revelation 11, 1 and 2 happened. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of Yahuwah and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty-two months. So if we go back to Revelation 12, 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon had seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. He was not available in this because of Revelation 11, 1 through 2. Matter of fact, Saturn was setting at the foot of Opetius at Scorpio. Now, Scorpio is the only house that's designated to Satan. And tells the story about his fall and him, how the bad seed. But regardless, he was sitting on the foot of Opetius. But not only that, he was sitting on the star Saya. 
which is Shemek Ain Pei, as in Isaiah 10.33, lock to divide up. So there's the two houses you see, or the outer court. Satan was over in Opetius. He was in his house, Scorpio, out of the court where everybody else that was being called. Uh, it's just a wonderful story of the calling out of the remnant that happened. And we can go in much, much more great detail, but uh, maybe another time, maybe this will do for now. Shalom. That's some great stuff. That's Malik Chava. He's on our chat right now. Thank you, Malik, for um, putting that together for us. There's lots of applications, and you can see many of the saints right now are really digging into this. Um, amazing, amazing times um, to be living. In fact, um, I think we have one more. Um, we have Cameron, I believe, um, going to communicate a little bit about Revelation 12 and the importance of the calculation of the days and times in which we live. And then put your questions down in the chat and I'll see if I can get back to you and answer a few of those questions or comments. And now's a great time to subscribe to the channel. Give us some thumbs up. We're going to listen to Cameron talk a little bit about the calculation. What's that? Oh, it's Conrad. Sorry, Conrad. Conrad, my apologies. Thank you. Not Cameron. Conrad, my apologies. Conrad's going to give us some calculations, and then we'll get back there. My apologies, Conrad. Sorry. Cheers. Notice in Genesis 1 and 2, the Tekufa equinox, according to others, this is where no ears begin. Right? So you can have a Tekufa that can start a ear, and another Tekufa can start another ear. And so Noah's ear, no doubt, begins in the autumn, heads to winter, move from there to the spring, back to summer, and it makes a complete ear of 60 days ear for Noah. And you see that in Genesis 7, 11, Genesis 8, 3 and 5, Genesis 8, 13 to 14. Now, here we have another situation about the Creator's 60 days here, covenant calendar. Moses now, according to Philo, here he says that, let me read this. He changes the times and seasons, Daniel 2.21. And he says here, Exodus 12, 1 and 2, And here you have spoke to Moses, saying, this month, right here, shall be to you the beginning of months. This month, Sola, is the head of months, the beginning of the month of the year, chief 60 days years. And Philo backed this up with nature. Philo, who existed around 20 BCE to 50 CE, Philo 2, 2.24 on the life of Moses, 2 section XL1, which is 2.22, 2.24. On 2.22, Moses put down the beginning of the vernal equinox as the first month of the year. And so this month here is the starting point for the 360 days covenant calendar. And it goes here where you have the atomic Tikufa equinox, 
which is the Feast of Trumpets, then you have the Day of Atonement, and you have the Feast of Tabernacles, and it repeats itself again, again, all year. All right, move ahead. The Creator's 360 days year covenant calendar with Gregorian, it has here for this year, notice it, you're using this 60 day years calendar, you have 90 days, and the spring for this year was 93 days. So you have the solstices June the 20th on Gregorian, and the covenant calendar is June the 17th. Notice you're seeing a shift here of the year. What is happening here? And then you have here on Gregorian, 94 days for the summer, but of covenant calendar, it is not 90 days. So the change of the year for 360 days to the 365 days was a result of the sun's ecliptic, hear this, path in no way affects the feast days and dates. The sun's ecliptic path of the geocentric view from nature's natural viewpoint, when it moved backwards 10 degrees on Ahaz's astronomical steps or sundial, or sundial steps that measures time, or notice shadows, 2 Kings 29.11, Exodus 38.7 mentioned twice, this event during Hezekiah's lifetime is recorded twice, not to be overlooked. Notice the length from the vernal equinox is lengthened from 90 days, which is presently 92 days, and there's a shift of June the 17th to get 19 days, but the summer equinox is 20 days on Gregorian. If you now use the same 90 days, you come back now to the really true atomic equinox, September the 15th, which gun ends it, and the September the 16th, Feast of Trumpets, is the true autumn equinox on the Creator's 360 days year. Something shifted during the time of Hezekiah when this event occurred. This big volumes. Now, the last year is the restoration of the 360 days year covenant calendar. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. Here is it here. Haggai 2.6, this is what Yehuah Almighty says. In a little while, will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. The Tikufa Vernal Equinox, Exodus 12.2, going hold its position. First day, first month. You gonna look everything here, you're gonna see what happened. The summer solstice. We are looking at the ecliptic part of the sun, it's going to change. Here it is. This is the present ecliptic part of the sun. It goes here from the Tikufa Vern Equinox, summer solstice. You have the Present day Tikufa Atomic Equinox, right here, 
And then he goes to the winter solstice back again. But notice here, this is what happened with the, this is what will not occur. This no longer will be that she's 65 days as a result of the ecliptic path of the sun. The ecliptic path of the sun will once again be shortened as it was in the time of Moses, as it was even at the time of Noah as well. But Hezekiah was the time of Hezekiah until it was lengthened. So we are come back to the 90 days in spring. Notice the future summer shortest has changed. We're going to come back here to the to Kufa, back to its autumn equinox, which is the Feast of Trumpets. Now we have 90 days here, autumn, back to the future winter orthodox. And then you have it back to the Kikufa vernal equinox. It is the sun's ecliptic path back to its origin. For the 360 days here, present year is now shortened on Gregorian calendar. So you got that. You got 90 days before the end of the world and the DeLorean's going to take us back to the future. That's amazing. I mean, you can see how skilled some of these people are that we've got on Torah to the Tribe. Conrad's is, of course, hosting the Covenant Calendar Club. And if you want to dig into some of that stuff, it truly is amazing. But it's quite tough to comprehend it all in a small snippet. So that was just a little taster for you. And, of course, I'm being a little facetious there. So bear with me. I can barely keep up. You can barely keep up. The stars are spinning. The sun's moving around. Who knows? But we live in some amazing times. Let's see what you've got in the chat for me. Let's have a little chat today and see. Put your red line up there if you want. Torah to the tribes and see if um, you have a question. Now, Miss Mo says, Yahweh doesn't make things that complicated. Well, that's the thing, Miss Mo. It's really not that complicated, especially to Conrad. It's very simple. And Malik, it's quite simple. Now, to some getting in, it seems complicated. But if you spend a little bit of time, it really does start to make a whole lot more sense. But I hear what you're saying first off. But Conrad, thank you. That was truly such a blessing. Now, Libby, she's right on my plane here. And she says, I'm looking forward to the 360-day reset then, of course, it's going to be a lot easier. Trying to get the Creator's calendar to lie, uh, line up with the Gregorian is where the brain gets fried because they just don't match. So, um, of course, I think those guys did a fabulous job. Malik, Chava, and Conrad. And you can get in touch with those guys on the Shabbat um, Fellowship and also on the Covenant Calendar Club. So go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect and you'll be able to get hold of those guys, ask questions and learn a whole lot more in those study groups. And it is really, really phenomenal. So let's see what else we've got. Miss Mo, clear as mud, Matthew. <laughs> uh, it's all good, though, isn't it? 
All right, let's see. I don't think you guys, I think that blew your mind. I think that blew your mind so much that you don't have any questions. So that was Malik Hava and that was Conrad. Bill Crane says, the age of Aquarius, 1969, the fifth dimension, done as a medley with let the sun shine in. All right, some of you would know more about that than me. Let's see what else we've got here. If you have any questions, put them up in the chat here with a red line at Torah to the Tribes. It sure does make it a lot easier for me to see. Right. Pixie from Dixie says, What do you think of Matthew 24, verse 36? No one knows the day of his return. Well, that, you know, of course, that is a scriptural truth. No one knows the day. And we've used that verse in times past to dismiss the Masroth, to dismiss knowing the times and the seasons. So we are not going to be able to pinpoint it down to the day and the hour, but we should know the Moedim. We should know the seasons. And, of course, it's all about his feasts, his Sabbaths, and I believe he is going to be returning at the full feast, fulfilling the full feasts perfectly, as he has already fulfilled the spring feasts. So it's just a um, question of making sure that we're on the Creator's calendar by aligning ourselves with his feasts and festivals, and that is the most important thing. Um, now... Gene D says, will the reset cause the big earthquake expected? What is going to be the reset? We don't know. It could definitely be a major earthquake. It will be a cataclysmic shift of some kind, which will reset us back to that 360-day year, which, of course, you see in the prophecies in Revelation. It's always divisible by the Hebrew 360-day year. So all that very good stuff, Revelation chapter 12. Again, I hope you guys are blessed. It's amazing times that we live in. Try and keep yourself safe and positive out there. And do think about donating to Torah to the tribes. It really does keep this ministry just on track and your support donation and stewardship means means the world i know it's been a strange year and we're still chugging along but i'm inspired because as those birth pains come and the labor and the tension prevails at times we know that ultimately it's yahweh who prevails through the power of the holy spirit in us so whatever's happening in your community Stay strong. Stay in prayer. Read the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Stay in the Word. Renew your mind daily by the washing of the Word. There's so much poisonous information out there that we need the purity of the Word in our minds, in our hearts, in our Ruachim, in our spirits. And, you know, make a connection with someone. Here at Torah to the Tribes, 
torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect. Reach out with somebody. Join the men's prayer group, the women's prayer group, because we need to make those connections in a time when the world is trying to tear us asunder. So remember, stand strong, and Yahweh is with us. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, give us some thumbs up on this video, and hope to catch you live next Shabbat, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Bless the name of Yahuwah, and Shabbat Shalom.